What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Abgenommen bedauert. Unsolved Mysteries. deference to persons who may still be living, character names in some of these true unsolved mysteries have been changed. Tis now the very witching time of night when churchyards yawn, and hell itself breathes out contagion to this world. Can anything be more ghastly than murder? Perhaps, if it be the life-crushing burden of doubt, such as in the case of Alan Camel.
The scene is just outside the London County Police Station. Unmindful of the tragedies that old building houses, the hurrying, milling crowds sweep by in never-ending stream. In contrast, Alan Camel, reading the morning paper, strolls leisurely by. Hurrying from the opposite direction, the District Commissioner of Police, his eyes fixed on the pavement. Guiding these two men with threads as invisible as they are strong, fate, without whose ruling hand this tale would not be told. Oh, uh, I say, I'm frightfully sorry. Careless of me, banging into you this way. But by Jove, Commissioner, I didn't recognize you. Oh, it's all right, old chap. I guess my mind was wool gathering, too. Where are you bound? Just taking a stroll. And you? Going into the police station here to take a look at the morning lineup. Morning lineup? What's that? Come along in and see if you have time. You'll find it interesting. Although something foreign to your sphere of activities. Good morning, Commissioner. Good morning, Sergeant. Oh, Sergeant, this is Mr. Campbell. Glad to know you, sir. Glad to meet you, too, Sergeant. We'll show Mr. Campbell the morning lineup. He's had no experience of the inside of a police station. I wonder, sir. Yes? Uh, would Mr. Campbell object to joining in the lineup? No, I, I don't know. That's up to him. Well, I don't mind. Certainly not. Uh, what do I do? Well, the idea is this, sir. When a crime is committed, we round up all the criminals we can who specialize in that type of crime. I see. But last night, we had a murder. And the elevator boy, the doorman, and the taxi driver have all said they saw a man, a well-dressed man, leaving the apartment house. Yes. So we want to get as many different types of men possible in the lineup so that we can get some sort of idea as to what this man, this possible murderer, looks like. For instance, Campbell, the identifying group may say the man we saw had shoulders like number 25, walks like number 15, or had a nose like number 4. Well, smart, what? I'll go in the lineup. Please do it. No, right, boys. We'll start. The commissioner's here. Okay, Sergeant. Get him lined up. Into a long, whitewashed room, its hard walls reflecting the harshness of the bluish-white arc lamps, walks Alan Camel. From the opposite end of the room, a pile of suspicious characters picked up during the night. Camel joins the end of the line as the group, their backs to the wall, stand erect against the lines of measurement. The sergeant brings in the three identifying witnesses. Slowly they walk past the lineup. First the taxi driver, then the elevator boy, thirdly the doorkeeper. Each in turn hesitates a moment, then stepping in front of Camel... That's the man. This is the man. He's the man I saw. I'm sorry, gentlemen. There must be some mistake. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Campbell. Just a case of mistaken identity. That will be all just now, Sergeant. Okay, boys. That's all for just now. Come along, Campbell. You've had enough experience of police methods for today. Into my office here. Have a drink? Yes, I guess you will. Oh, the nerve-wracking, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. To be identified as a murderer. By the way, who was it that was killed? Why, I don't know. I look on the report. Uh, Robert Julian. Robert Julian? Are you certain... Where did he live? Bathurst Department. Good heavens. You, you know him? Yes, I, I know. I rather knew him very well. Oh. Went to school with him. He served under me during the war. We were both members of the same club. Oh, I say, I'm frightfully sorry, old chap, to have been responsible for giving you such a shock this way. Oh, uh, don't blame yourself, Commissioner. You you couldn't be expected to know. However, I, if you don't mind, I, I think I'll run along. Why, not in the slightest. Have another drink before you go. Uh, no, thanks. Uh, really. In almost a daze, Camel steps out onto Marlborough Road, hails a passing taxi cab, and is driven out to Mayfair. Outside the Bathurst apartments, he dismisses the taxi, but hesitates as to whether or not he should go up to Julian's apartment. Finally, his heart pounding against his ribs, he tenses himself and walks down the hallway. Yes? This is... It's Alan. Alan? Alan Campbell. Oh, come in. Irene, I... I don't know what to say, I... I just learned just now that Bob had been... Had, 
was dead. Sit down and calm yourself, Helen. But I can't calm myself. I've just had the horrible experience of being identified as his murderer. Where? At the police station. Oh, Alan, how did they find out? Find out? What, what on earth do you mean? You you don't have to deny it to me, Alan. Deny what? Is everybody crazy? Alan, I I came home about two this morning and found and found Bob dead. Lying beside him where the slip from the murderer's pocket was this. I put it in my handbag. Good Lord. My cigarette case. Then, can you think that I killed him? Didn't you threaten to kill him? Yes, if he ever harmed you, but how did you know that? Bob left a package to be opened at his death. I, I opened it. It told how, how he'd lied to me about you. How he'd tricked me into breaking off our engagement. And he, he actually gloried in writing all the horrible details. Then he went on to say that if, if ever he came to a violent death, you would be his murderer. Because you told him that if he ever hurt me, harmed me, or was unkind to me, you'd kill him. It's all true. For years, I, I've hated him. That's why I avoided him. Every time I set eyes on him, I realized what he'd done and that... Oh, perhaps I should have told you, but you wouldn't have believed me. How could you be expected to? But, Eileen, I, I didn't kill him. How do you account for your cigarette? Oh, I, I don't know. I... May I use your phone? Yes, Alan. Give me Tottenham 22678. Yes, please. Oh, hello, Dobbs. Listen, Dobbs. When did I get home last night? About seven. That's right. Did I go out again? No? Good. I knew I hadn't, but... Uh... Oh, yes, Dobbs. Look in the gun room, will you? And tell me, has anything been disarranged? Yes, you can call me at Mayfair 4396. And you see, Dobbs says I wasn't out all evening. Dobbs would commit perjury for you, Alan. But he's no reason to. He, he doesn't know anything. Why should he say that I was home all evening if I weren't? Dobbs is the world's greatest diplomat, I know. But Eileen, don't you see? I, I'm not lying when I say that I didn't kill Bob. I, I might have in the blind rage. I don't know, but not in cold blood. Uh, shall I or you? You want to. Yes? Oh, yes, Dobbs. What's that? Can't understand it. Can't understand what? Yes? Yes? Good heavens. Uh, uh, yes, by all means. Clean it. I'll, I'll explain when I get home. What is it? Dobbs. Dobbs says my my forty-five has been moved. Used. One bullet fired. Oh, Alan. Oh, this is horrible. Ghastly. To to kill a man is bad enough, but, but to kill him and not even remember it. I, I know anything about it. I, to go for the rest of my life, wondering, doubting, never knowing, always wondering... In just a moment, you will hear a solution to the Alan Camel mystery.
Ladies and gentlemen, inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and character have been taken in the solution for which you have been waiting. The scene is the police commissioner's home, and the commissioner, accompanied by the sergeant from the Marlborough station, are seated before the fire, talking as Alan Camel enters. Oh, good evening, Campbell. Good evening. Uh, sit down here by the fire. That's it. Now, what's on your mind? I hardly know where to start. I, I call you, Commissioner, and ask you to invite the sergeant over because of what happened this morning. Oh, my dear chap, forget the whole business. We know you didn't kill Robert Julian. But that's it. It, it seems that I did. What? what? I went to his apartment after I left the police station. His wife was there. And she gave me this. A cigarette case? Yes. Mine. I, she found it lying beside her husband's body. Out with the rest of it, Campbell. Julian and I were in love with the same woman. She was engaged to me. He tricked her into believing that I was carrying on with another woman. Yes. And she broke off our engagement and... I... You... You threatened Julian? I did. I told him that if he ever hurt her, I'd kill him. Recently, he's been... Well, he'd gone back to his old tricks, neglecting her and all the rest of it. It's been on my mind. But I've not the slightest recollection of doing anything. If I killed him, I don't know about it. You... Uh... You've gone over in your mind when you were alone, brooding just how you would kill him? Yes, I admit that. Then that's the explanation. Your subconscious mind has taken possession of your physical body to commit murder without your ever being aware of the fact. What is that possible? It won't be the first time. It's because of the subconscious power of the physical body that the murderer very often revisits the scene of his crime. Then you think, you really think that I killed Julian? Yes, frankly, I do. Then there's nothing else, is there? Except the formal arrest. I'm not going to arrest you. And I don't think the sergeant is either. Not me, sir. But I, I don't... In the first place, I don't believe a jury would convict you. In the second place, I'm not going to give them a chance. And so, insofar as the people of London were concerned, Alan Camel's name was never mentioned. And the murder of Robert Julian was an unsolved mystery. <laughs>
is Stranger Than Fiction. We are endeavoring to bring to you little-known mysteries of the entire world, and in this series of unexplained true happenings, we cannot overlook the puzzling and weird practices found in voodooism. There are strange stories of zombies, stories which filter into the world of everyday life, leaving no room for doubt that within the cult of voodooism in Haiti, zombies do exist. a few miles from Port-au-Prince, a long, low, rambling bungalow bathed in the liquid beams of a silver moon faces the open sea. Behind the cape rises in serried ridges of blacks and purples, and beyond that, faintly ominous, the deep, constant rhythm of the voodoo drums seems to belong to another world. Three men sit on the lanai or veranda facing the beach. One of them, tall, slender, Young in years, but with gray hair and lined face, stares out into nothing. The elderly man by his side looks at the third and raises bushy eyebrows. The third man, a stranger to Haiti, speaks. Very decent of you fellows to invite me out here. I sort of feel that, well, that I'm putting you to a lot of extra work. Not a bit of it. Servants take care of all the extra work. We're glad of your company. Clock. Yes, Strong? I'm going down there. You must? Yes. But don't be long. I won't. But don't wait up for me. Good night. Good night. Good night. In a moment, after Strong's out of hearing, I'll be able to explain. That's all right. I think I understand. Just a minute. I'll look down the pathway. Yes, he's gone all right. In spite of what he said, we can't turn in. And although you're a stranger here, I'm going to do what white men have to do in the tropics. I'm going to ask for your help if I need it. You won't have to ask twice. I didn't think so. That's why I asked you at the hotel if you'd like to come out to our place. A few moments ago, you said you thought you understood. Yes, I know, of course, but it was just a year ago today that Strong's wife died. I was in New York at the time, and we were all very much upset. I never knew Strong, but I went to school with his wife, Helen. And it isn't because of his wife's death that I want you tonight, but because of what happened after her death. After her death? Yes. Do you know where Strong went just now? No. He went down to her grave, as he has every night for six months or more. Good heavens, why? That's what I'm going to explain. When Strong first came out here, he had a native servant girl, Clarissa, her name was. Attractive little thing, and she fell in love with Strong. Strong never gave her a thought. But you know native women. Yes, of course. Well, Helen came out here. And the night before their marriage, they were sitting just about here on the veranda.
Oh, Johnny, it's so grand to be here with you. And what do you think it is for me, darling, to have you here in my arms, to know that tomorrow you'll be mine forever, darling? Yes, John, forever. Oh, when I think of the nights I've sat out here dreaming, watching the ships sailing for the States, and then other nights when I've watched these same steamers come into the harbor and tried to imagine what you'd look like standing there on the deck coming out to me. <laughs> Did your dream come true, dear, or did you find me changed? Oh, a little changed, yes, darling. But better than a thousand dreams. Ah, it's 11 o'clock, darling. Time for little girls to be in bed, especially when they're going to be married in the morning. <laughs> I hate to think of driving you out of your bungalow, even for one night. I could just as easily skate at the one time. Oh, not a bit of it, dear. It'll take me less than five minutes to walk down to Clark's place. Good night, dear. Good night, John. John. Clarissima, what on earth are you doing here at this time of night? Why aren't you home with your father? I have been watching you. You've been watching me? You and a woman. What's the matter with you? What's come over you? What business have you watching us? I have every business. You belong to me. I belong to you? What rubbish is this you're talking? No rubbish, John. You have belonged to me since that night that the Volcar placed his spell upon you. Have you been drinking, Clarissima? You know I do not drink. John, if you marry this woman, I tell you something. In three months, she will be dead. Oh, now listen, Clarissima. I'm not afraid of your bokors, your voodoos, or your wanga. I have told you. Marry that woman, and before the setting of the third moon, she will be dead. Clarissima spoke the truth. Before the third moon had set, Helen was dead. In his grief, John gave no thought to her prophecy. Gave no thought to the warning that the wanga or spell of the bokor had been placed upon her. Clark, John Strong's friend, came to live with him. And one afternoon, Strong, arriving home earlier than usual, came up the veranda steps in time to hear Clark talking to one of the native servants. I tell it to you, Master. I have heard it too many times. It's nonsense, Lomer. Just jungle talk. Native rubbish. No, Master. Many times before, a white man, he say rubbish. But me, Loma, he see zombie. Not one zombie. Not two but many zombies work back there in sugarcane fields. But not a white woman, Loma. No one ever told... What's all this, Clark? Oh, uh, we were just talking. Didn't hear you come in. I know you didn't. I'm sorry, old man, but I listened. Oh. Yes, I listened. I know you were talking about Helen. Now, what was it? Oh, just jungle nonsense. There's nothing to even think about. I'll be the best judge of that. Tell me, Loma. No. No, master. If master understand... He know us. Tell me, Loma. Oh, come, Strong. You're making a fuss over nothing. Loma! Yes, Master. Did I ever beat you? No, Master. I'm going to, Loma. Beat you till you can't stand if you don't tell me. Listen, John, this is no way to behave. I tell you. Uh, you come with me and I'll explain. Come? Where? Come along and I'll show you. Together, the two men leave the bungalow. Loma, his eyes filled with tears, stands at the top of the lanai steps and watches them disappear into the underbrush. Down toward the sea, Clark leads the way. His set jaw, the only answer to Strong's question. But Clark, this pathway doesn't lead any place except to the cemetery. I know it. That's where we're going. What in heaven's name is it all about? Why don't you tell me? I want to prove that the whole thing is nonsense before I tell I you. I thought you were my friend. I'm friend enough to want to save your reason. Oh, there's an open grave. Now go ahead. I want to get that saved. Clark. Clark. What? Helen's grave. It's been opened. What? Her grave clock, it's been opened. You'll find out in a minute. 
Now stand back while I dig. Oh, let me talk. Let me. No. It ought to be. Not yet. Clark. Clark. The casket's gone. These devils have taken her. My Helen for their damnable voodoo. No, John, no. Zombies. At breakneck speed, the two men race back to their bungalow. Loma from the veranda sees them coming up the pathway and runs to meet them. In silence, Clark points to the brush, and Loma in the lead breaks into the thick tropic growth. Dusk finds them struggling up the steep slopes of the Cape with that energy born of frenzied fear and nameless horror. Loma holds up his hand. In the strained silence, the men listen to the sharp crack of cane knives on stalks of cane, the crackling of falling cane leaves. Loma motions strong to come forward. He forces aside the sugar cane and stares, horror-stricken, into the clearing. Helen! 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 Horrible clock. Ghastly story. You understand now why John acts as he does. And why I wanted you here tonight. Then she was buried alive? No, she wasn't buried alive. But she wasn't dead? Yes, she was dead. She was a zombie. A dead person raised from the grave. A body without mind or soul. But it's impossible. That's what I said to Loma. No, Helen was dead. Killed by the curse brought on her by Clarissa's jealous hatred. And raised from the grave to be a zombie by the same voodooism that killed her. Yes, yes. Uh, Clarissa, what happened to her? The natives killed her. And Helen, you... You buried her again? We had better salt. Salt? Yes, salt. If zombies eat anything containing salt, they return to their graves in peace. And you fed her salt? Yes, she... She crumpled up at our feet, dead, really dead. Out of deference to people who are still alive, character names in these unsolved mysteries have been changed. Inasmuch as any solution must of necessity be supposition, liberties of time, place, and character exist in the solution that will be presented after you have heard from your sponsor. solution for which you've been waiting. Have you really a reasonable explanation of how such a thing could have happened? I'll answer that by asking you a question. Do you think that any explanation of such a ghastly affair could be classified as reasonable? No, I suppose not. 
What had happened and so I say, how could it happen? In the first place, don't imagine this is an isolated case. So serious is the matter of zombies in the island of Haiti that the government has been compelled to pass the following law, Article 249 of the Code Penal of the Republic of Haiti. Also shall be qualified as attempted murder the employment which may be made against any person of substances which, without causing actual death, produces a lethargic coma more or less prolonged. If, after the administration of such substances, the person has been buried, the act shall be considered murder, no matter what the result that follows. And the government thinks that these zombies are people who have been poisoned and who have been certified as dead and buried while in the state of suspended animation. I mean that they have been given a poison that kills the brain but leaves their motor faculties unimpaired. Between you and me, I don't think that the government really believes that. But after all, how would you try to frame a law against taking corpses out of their graves and making them work in the cane field? Yes, I see the difficulty there. But just the same, I don't see how even voodooism can make a corpse walk. Have you ever heard of inanimate objects being moved by the power of mind? Yes, I have. And isn't it possible that the same worker in black magic or voodooism that killed a person by power of mind could take that inanimate object to the corpse and make it move? Do you believe that? Yes. And I'll give you the final proof, at least my way of thinking. What is that? The fact that the natives themselves killed Clarissima, the native girl, because they knew that with the assistance of the witch doctors, she killed and made a zombie out of Helen. Thank you. 
Washington Square. An old residential district which has stood still and aloof as the rest of the city has rushed on in the mad whirl of modernism. The houses still have iron railings before them. The street lamps are few and far between. The causeway is cobbled, uneven and hard to walk on. Not a house but has its five or six steps leading up to the front door. And pool bells have not yet been replaced by the shrill ringing electric bells. A soft snow falls, softening the harsh outlines of the buildings, sidewalk and street. Parking lawn and these are all one. A wavy blanket of glistening white. A light shows in number 21, where Jack Hunter addresses a strange company of guests. Now, everyone please make yourselves as comfortable as possible. Cigarettes in that lacquer box, cigars in the humidor. You'll find drinks to your taste in that cabinet. I, uh, I'm going to stand here, if you don't mind, and explain this, well, rather unusual situation. I've simply been on pens and needles ever since I received your letter. Yes, I can believe that. Putting it as simply as possible, every one of you, ladies and gentlemen, has at some time or another lived in this house. Sometime during the past 32 years. Well, I lived here in 1911 for exactly four nights. Well, that's one night longer than I would say. I insisted that George move me out the third night. I couldn't stand it. I believe that I'm right in assuming that each and every one of us has had the same experience. I lived here one whole year, so possibly I did experience a little more than the rest of you. Yes, Mr. Strange. According to my records, you have lived longer in the house than anyone else. Suppose you summarize. Well, the first night I slept here, nothing happened. But the second night, I woke with that strange feeling that somebody, something was in the room. I was about to turn up the light, but I came to a realization that it wasn't necessary. Although it was quite dark, I could see figures. They were ranged along the sides of my bed and across the bottom. I couldn't tell about the top because, frankly... I was too frightened to move. That's just exactly what happened to me. I saw them the first night. They just stood there and stared and stared. They never said a word. And I couldn't. That was my experience. And it happened no less than 103 times in one year. Gradually, I got used to them. Used to speculate to myself that some of them were more dense, more material than others. Especially one. One who very often came by herself. A woman. May I interrupt? Certainly. The woman is the key to the whole problem. May I take the story from there? Why, yes, of course. Why, Almost any minute now, Mr. Crawford will arrive. He wrote to me and said that he had the solution to this visitation and that he'd be here tonight. Until he arrived, I'll tell you about the woman. It was 1909. I lived about a mile and a half from here. And one morning, snowing, wintry as could be, I left the house to go downtown to my office. I was walking along past Cortland Park. And the officer on the beat, Pat O'Malley. Good morning to you, sir. Yeah, and it's a right brisk morning that it is, Mr. Hunter. Oh, yes, Pat. Like the old days when we were kids going to school. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Uh, them was the days. Uh, we never appreciate them till we have to be up and going in the mornings and off to work. Why, sir? Uh, what are you looking at? Look, Pat. Over in the park. Doesn't that look like the outline of a body there under the snow? Sure, and that it does, sir. And we'll be after going and satisfying ourselves that everything is all right, all right. Yeah, if we can open the gate... I'll bet it's frozen stiff in this cold. Well, then we'll just have to claim the rail, and that we will. Ah, oh, sure, now, and don't you be spoiling them good gloves of yours, Mr. Hunter. I'll open them gates. Yeah, they're opening. Oh, well, whatever it is, it, it must have lain there all night. There's not a trace of footprints or anything else. Yes, Dad, now that I'm close to it, it looks more like a body than ever. Well, we'll soon be after finding out that we will. 
All wet and sticky. And red. She's been murdered, Pat. And that's no lie. For never yet did anybody stab themselves in the small of the back like this one's been stabbed. Well, I'll call the patrol and uh, we'll take her to the bar. shadowy shapes, wisps of an intangible something formed in the likeness of human forms. Transparent. Horribly transparent. They ranged themselves about the bed, and in ghastly silence they stared down upon the man Jack Hunter lying there. Jack stirs uneasily in his sleep, turns and tosses, twists himself about, and opens his eyes. Frozen with fear, he lies staring with wide eyes. His lips form words, questions, but nothing that he can do, no effort that he can make will force words out. Another shape enters the room. A woman. Those shadowy nothings about the bed look at the newcomer, and one by one they melt into nothingness. The woman advances to the bed. You can help me. What? What is that you said? You can help me. I was murdered. I I cannot rest until my murderer is known. The woman. The murdered woman I found in the park. Yes. You found me in the park. You know my murderer. I? I know your murderer? Yes. Come with me. Follow me to the living room. You will help me. You will let me rest. Jack Hunter follows the woman through the archway into the living room. He stops before the grand piano, turns her ghastly eyes upon him, and then pointing to a portrait, his wife's portrait. Jack claps his hands to his eyes, rocks to and fro, and with a crash falls to the floor in a dead faint. It, it was almost daylight when I came to. I, I was pretty groggy. Oh, what a horrible experience. To find your wife accused of murder. The horrible part of it was, it was true. What? You, you can't. Yes. My wife had been in a private institution for the violently insane for years. She escaped. I knew nothing about her escape, but I investigated. She returned to the institution two days later, her clothes bloodstained. And the institution management glad to get her back so easily. 
Never said a word. But why? Why in the name of heaven has all this happened in this house? With the rest of us, we've never done anything for which we should be haunted. Not by one ghost, but by dozens. I think that that ring at the doorbell is the answer we're seeking. Mr. Crawford? Yes, Mr. Crawford. I'll go and let him in. Make yourselves comfortable. I'll be darned if I know what to make of it. No lie. I'm just as puzzled as I was when I lived here. Well, we'll see what Crawford has to say. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Crawford. Yeah, how do you do that? I have told them, Mr. Crawford, the story today. About your your wife? Everything. In order to understand this, you must realize that Washington Square is very much changed from what it was back in the 80s. Over where the hotel stands today is where the old courthouse used to be. Down there where the gasoline station stands used to be old Meeker's stables. The jail used to stand where the hotel stands now. But this house, that's what we want to know. Yes. I've been on pins and needles. I still am. This house. This house. This house used to be the morgue. After you've heard from your sponsor, a solution to the Washington Square mystery will be given. for what you have been waiting. You said, Mr. Crawford, that this house used to be the morgue? Yes, I did. But, but that still doesn't explain it. It does as far as I'm concerned. You see, when you begin dealing with the mysterious realm beyond the practical and concrete things of life, things that can be weighed, seen, felt, and otherwise measured, you start dealing with situations that can only be investigated by comparison. What do you mean by comparison? Comparisons of happenings of a like nature. Comparisons with the experiences of thousands of reputable people who have testified to similar experiences. You mean that if someone is emotionally upset in a certain house, the imprint of that emotion will be left in the house almost like a photograph? That is the claim of many. Even if people know nothing of what has happened? Yes. Have you ever walked into a house and had an unexplainable feeling of dislike for the place? Why, yes, of course. Uh, What causes it? Well, there are many people who say it's an invisible influence left by the previous occupants or previous happenings. It is easy to imagine the heartbreaking scenes in this morgue, the air of gloom, the constant stream of people walking through this building, 
There's nothing in their mind but the identification of persons who have been murdered or otherwise met violent death. Then these things which we saw and heard are, well, our own sensitive nature becoming aware of the, what you call, invisible photograph of previous happenings. Yes, that is a theory advanced. In that state between sleeping and waking, these previous happenings took on an almost tangible form. And when you came back to consciousness, fully aware of what had happened and fully convinced that you had been quite awake the whole time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.